We read God's Word this morning in Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8 speaks about wisdom from beginning to end. Wisdom is personified here, the first person singular, I, is used. And that I, you understand, is Jesus Christ. Christ is wisdom as He speaks to His church. So with that understanding, let's read Proverbs chapter 8. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth her voice? She standeth in the top of high places, by the way in the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, understand wisdom. And ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Hear, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing forward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that find knowledge. Receive my instruction, and not silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and find out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the froward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine, and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. By me kings reign, and princes decree justice. By me princes rule, and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness, in the midst of the paths of judgment, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way, before His works of old. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning, or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, Before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth, while as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. 
When He prepared the heavens, I was there. When He set a compass upon the face of the depth, when He established the clouds above, when He strengthened the fountains of the deep, when He gave to the sea His decree that the waters should not pass His commandment, when He appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by Him as one brought up with Him, and I was daily His delight, rejoicing always before Him, rejoicing in the habitable part of His earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Now therefore, hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Thus far we read God's holy and an errant word. May God add His blessing upon the reading of His holy scriptures. It's on the basis of Proverbs 8 and many other passages of God's word that we find the instruction of the Hedeberg Catechism, Lord's Day 13. Lord's Day 13, why is Christ called the only begotten Son of God, since we are also the children of God? Because Christ alone is the eternal and natural Son of God, but we are children of God, children adopted of God by grace for His sake. Wherefore callest thou him our Lord? Because he hath redeemed us, both soul and body, from all our sins, not with gold or silver, but with his precious blood, and hath fully delivered us from all the power of the devil, and thus hath made us his own property. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, we must understand carefully what is the main concern of Lord's Day 13. Who is the subject, the one whom we study in Lord's Day 13. We must understand carefully that the main emphasis of Lord's Day 13 is not about the second person of the Trinity, 
as the second person of the Trinity relates to the first person of the Trinity. The main instruction of this Lord's Day is not about the relationship that the Son, the second person of the Trinity, has with the Father, the first person of the Trinity. Even though it talks about the Son, even the only begotten Son of God, yet it would be a mistake to insist that this Lord's Day is about the inner Trinitarian relationship. To say that this Lord's Day is about the Father as He relates to the Son within the Godhead would be to repeat what has already been taught in Lord's Days 8 and 9. Lord's Day 8 asks about the Trinity and instructs about the three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then Lord's Day 9 speaks about the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking there of the relationship between the Father and the Son. So what then is Lord's Day 13 about? If it's not about the inner being of God. It must be then that Lord's Day 13 is teaching us about the man, Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ related to His Father during His earthly ministry. That's the subject and that's the emphasis here of Lord's Day 13. Who is Jesus Christ? That fits even with where we're at in the context here of the Apostles' Creed. The Catechism has been developing article by article the Apostles' Creed. First, I believe in God the Father Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord. This morning we look at the conclusion of that second phrase, only begotten Son, our Lord. Jesus. This Lord's Day is about the One who was born in Bethlehem, the one who with his parents fled down to Egypt to escape the wicked command of the king. This Lord's Day is about the one who suffered all his life long and who eventually laid down his life at the cross. That Man is the only begotten Son of God. How important that we believe and confess that Jesus is God's Son. Deny this truth, and Jesus says in Matthew 10.33, Whosoever shall deny Me before men, 
him will I deny before my Father which is in heaven. But confess this truth, and Jesus says, Him will I confess before my Father, which is in heaven. Believing God's Son. Let's consider first of all His Sonship. Secondly, the fact that we are made to be sons, our Sonship. And then third, His rule. Looking especially at question and answer 34, Wherefore callest thou Him our Lord? Question 33 testifies that the only begotten Son of God is the eternal and natural Son of God. The Scriptures speak of Jesus Christ who walked upon this earth as the only begotten Son of God. Texts that are familiar to you speak of that truth. John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then another reference to Jesus as being the begotten Son of God is Hebrews. Hebrews 1 verse 5, which is a reference, a quotation of the Old Testament psalm, Psalm 2 verse 7. We read there, For unto which of the angels saith he at any time, Thou art my Son. This day have I begotten thee. And so we know from the teaching of the Scriptures that Jesus is the begotten Son, even the only begotten Son of God. But then the difficulty which this question of the Lord's Day faces is this. Why is Jesus called the only begotten Son of God if we also, who are members of the church, are also called in the Scriptures the children of God. Is there a contradiction here? That on the one hand, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, but on the other hand, we also are children of God? Galatians teaches that truth that we are the children of God. Galatians 4, 5 and 6, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, sons of God, because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so it is the burden of this Lord's Day then to distinguish between the fact that Jesus Christ, on the one hand, is the eternal and the natural Son of God, but on the other hand, we also are children of God, albeit in a different sense, yet no less real sense, we are also the children of God. And so we begin here with Jesus as, according to the testimony of the Hedberg Catechism, the eternal 
and the natural Son of God. Eternal and natural. What do those words mean? That He is the eternal Son of God is taught in Proverbs chapter 8. As we said before the Scripture reading, in Proverbs chapter 8, Jesus Christ is personified here as wisdom. Jesus speaks saying, I did this and I did that. And He speaks as the voice of wisdom. And so here, Jesus Christ, as He testifies of the fact that He is eternal. Proverbs 8, verse 23 and following. I was set up from everlasting, from the beginning or ever the earth was. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. Jesus testifies. Eternal. This is a concept that is so heavenly and so transcendent that it is very difficult for our earthly minds to be able to process it. What does eternity mean? What does it feel like to be eternal? We live with such a real, concrete knowledge of our finity, finiteness. We have a beginning day and we have an ending day that even to think of eternity really goes beyond what our minds are capable of handling. Sometimes we can speak of Eternity as being without, an, without a beginning and without an ending. But strictly speaking, that's not eternity. To speak of eternity as being without having a beginning of days and without having an ending of days is to take eternity and to compare it to time. To say it's without a beginning of time and it's without an ending of time. But eternity is exalted above time. Time is a creature that God holds in His hands. It's the very first thing God created. The beginning. He created time in the beginning. God created a start. And so to speak of Jesus Christ as the eternal one, we don't do justice to the thought simply to say He's without beginning and without ending, but He is exalted above time. Before Abraham was, I am. Before the mountains, before the hills were established, I am. Time was and is a creature 
that Jesus Christ Himself holds in His own hands. And now, beloved, can you behold how great is the mystery of godliness that Jesus Christ became manifest in the flesh and became subject to time. That creature that He held in His hands and Jesus Christ was exalted above it determined that He would come down and place Himself under the limitations of time. That there would be a moment in history that He was born of a woman. He determined that eight days later, He would be brought into the temple and He would be circumcised. He determined that twelve years into His life, He would return to the temple and there He would teach the doctors, the instructors of the day. He determined that 30 years into His life on this earth, He would be baptized. And then 33 years, He would be killed. The Eternal One became subject to time. Great is the mystery of godliness. And then the Catechism speaks of Jesus Christ as the natural Son of God. Christ alone is the eternal and natural Son of God. Natural meaning here that Jesus shares in the same nature of His Father as His Father. Natural over against the idea here of being adopted. You can see a picture here of the distinction between being a natural born son and being an adopted son in Moses. Moses was the natural born son, the son who shared in the nature of Amram and Jochebed. But then, Moses was adopted to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he was brought into Pharaoh's house. And there in Pharaoh's house, Moses learned the Egyptian language. There Moses learned the culture, the education. He learned what it meant to be an Egyptian. And in many ways, Moses was influenced by his adopted parents. But although Moses was influenced by them, yet Moses never became the natural born son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses remained both physically as well spiritually Children of Amram and Jochebed, that is, a child of the covenant. And so it was then for Jesus Christ. Jesus is the natural born Son of God. Yes, it is true 
that Jesus Christ would be born of Mary, and that Mary would become married to Joseph. Joseph would be the adopted father of Jesus. And Joseph, as the adopted father of Jesus, would have an important role in Jesus' life. Joseph opened up his home to Jesus. Joseph loved Jesus and instructed Jesus, taught him as God-fearing parents are to instruct their children. Joseph even would have had a good influence on Jesus, teaching Jesus according to the commandments of God. Yet for all of that, Jesus Christ remained the natural born Son of God. But both of these words indicate the fact that He is the eternal Son of God and that He is the natural Son of God. They both indicate, do they not, the divinity of Jesus Christ. Christ, who was made flesh and who dwelt among us, is God. The only begotten Son is God. Your Savior, your older brother, is God. In the incarnation, God came close, even dangerously close to man. How frightening is the thought that God would come and God would dwell with Man. The God who is holy, holy, holy. The God who is filled with justice and who hates the evildoer and who promises that He will destroy the evildoer. The God who says in His Word, Proverbs 8, verse 36, all they that hate Me love death. The One who dwells in the temple made without hands the God who is a consuming fire, that God came and dwelt among men. How dangerous it is to be that close to the Holy God. The men upon the earth at the time of Jesus' ministry recognized that He was a danger a threat to them. They did not like it that He who was eternal and He who was the natural born Son of God came and walked among them. And so what did mankind do? They did everything in their power to muzzle Christ. They did not want Jesus to speak, to teach, to preach. They tried to trap Jesus Christ 
They tried to portray him as somebody that contradicted the laws of Moses. They tried to portray him as someone who contradicted the laws of Caesar. They tried to find any way that they could to undermine, discredit, and destroy the ministry of Jesus Christ upon this earth. And at last, when all of the attempts that were made by the wicked world, as the wicked world joined hands with the apostate church to silence Jesus Christ, were not effective, then they resorted to the final measure of taking Jesus Christ unjustly, condemning Him unto death, leading Him up that hill, and there killing Jesus. It is a dangerous thing to have the Holy God in your presence. Now one says, well, that's, that's how the Jews and the evil Gentiles responded. But thanks be to God that we're not like them. One might even say, I, I wish I could be alive and have Jesus Christ, the eternal and natural Son of God, Alive and with me right right here. Maybe, maybe Jesus could be our minister. Well, if Jesus were with us, we would love him. If Jesus were in our midst, discipling us, teaching us, leading us, bending down, washing our feet, then we would be filled with the fervent zeal. For Jesus, I would follow Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. I'd be willing to forsake father and mother if Jesus Christ were in our midst and if Jesus Christ could minister to me. Well, there's a test, beloved, by which you may know how you would respond to the presence of Jesus in your midst. And you know what the test is? The test is this. How do you treat the Word of God? Do you love it? Would you forsake all for it? Are you passionate about it? Are you eager to hear God's Word? Or does your Bible collect dust? Devotions are rare. The way you treat the Word of God shows the way that you would interact with Jesus if He was in your midst. Jesus, the eternal and the natural Son of God.
But what difference does this make in your life? What does it matter to you that Jesus is the eternal and the natural, the only begotten Son of God? It makes all the difference in the world for you, beloved, because through Jesus Christ's Sonship, we are made the children of God. We become the sons and daughters of Jehovah. Wonder of wonders that we might be a part of this family of Jehovah. For it was not always this way that we were part of Jehovah's family. We once were part of a different family. There was a different man who ruled over us. We had different siblings with whom we interacted and in whom our souls delighted. And who was it that by nature was our father? John 8.44 tells us that by nature we are of our father the devil who is a liar who seeks to deceive. The devil by nature ruled over us with a firm and an unyielding hand. The devil does not rule over his people with the hand of love and the hand of tenderness and gentleness. The devil did not, does not, rule as one who knows the frame of those who are His children and who deals with them accordingly. But the devil deals with his children with a firm, a tyrannical and an unyielding hand. The devil ruled and rules as a strict taskmaster. Even as Pharaoh ruled over the Egyptian or the Israelites when they were captives in Egypt. Recall what Pharaoh did at that time. He gave commandment to the midwives that they were to kill the male sons born to the Jewish women. And then when that did not work, Pharaoh gave yet another commandment that all of the boys who were born in the land of Goshen, all of the Jewish boys were to be cast into that river Nile. That's how the devil operates. The devil seeks to come and find entrance into the church, and it is especially on the children that the devil prays. Take your children and cast your children into the river Nile. And how do you cast your children into that river? By giving them over to temptations, to the lusts of the flesh, to the pursuit of worldliness. And it is not hard to let your children go down that way. Broad 
and easy is that way of letting the devil have more and more influence in the lives of children. By nature, we're in the devil's family. But wonder of wonders, the catechism's testimony is we are children adopted of God by grace for His sake. For Jesus' sake. For the sake of our elder brother who came into this world and was hated. We are brought into God's family. In eternity, God chose us in Jesus Christ. And then in the fullness of time, God realized our adoption. As it were, He signed the adoption papers with the blood of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Family members we are with Jesus. How amazing that this may be true for you personally. My only comfort in life and in death is that I belong to Jesus. Even when family and friends forsake. Even when earthly homes are in a state of turmoil. Even when there is sin in the walls of the home. When there is shame. When there is rebellion. When there is distrust even in the home, yet still the spiritual reality remains unchanged. We are children adopted of God by grace for Jesus' sake. Just as Jesus is the Son of God, so we are the children of God. Oh, to be sure, there are differences between His Sonship and our Sonship. He is the eternal Son. We are adopted, brought into the family. He is the natural Son of God who partakes of the divine nature of His Father. But we are those who are adopted in and transformed into family members. He is the one who bears the express image of the Father. He perfectly resembles His Father in every way. We have just a small beginning 
of this new obedience. There are many times where we slip and fall into sin and in many ways resemble more the devil's family instead of our Father's, our Heavenly Father's family. Yes, there are differences between the sonship of Jesus Christ and the sonship of you and me, and yet, how similar the sonship of Christ with the Father and your and my sonship with the Father is. Even as Jesus Christ truly is God's only begotten Son, even when Jesus Christ was going through the depths of the agonies of hell, even when it seemed as though the Father no longer cared about the Son, even when it seemed as if the Father had forgotten about the Son, yet at that moment Jesus still was the eternal and natural Son of God. And so it is for you and me. Even though it seems at times when we go through the trials and the difficulties of this life that our Father has forgotten us, that our Father perhaps has forsaken us, yet the reality remains the same. We are the children adopted of God the Father by grace for Jesus' sake. Another similarity, there's union, is there not, with the Father? Just as Jesus Christ was united with the Father, was one with the Father. That comes out in the high priestly prayer of John 17. Even as the Father and I are one, so also there's a union between you who are the children of God and God Almighty in heaven. We are in the Father. And the Father by the Spirit of Christ is in us. Wonder of wonders. We are the children of God. Because we are children, we may know our elder brother. It's only because we are children that we are able to know our elder brother. If we were not adopted into this family, we would have no interest in learning about Him, in studying who He is, what He has done for us. In fact, this is how it is revealed whether we are or are not the children of the Father by the interest that we take in our elder brother. For those who have no interest in the elder brother. For those who are quite content to live their own lives seeking 
their own pleasures, who cannot be bothered to make sacrifices for the sake of the elder brother's kingdom, for those who do not want to gather with the church to hear the elder brother address his people, then it reveals at the very least that there is weakness of faith and at most that there is no faith at all. That that person indeed is not a child of the Father. Those who are adopted into God's family want to get to know their elder brother. This is what happens in a healthy family relationship, does it not? Siblings enjoy one another's fellowship. How exciting this can be and how rewarding this can be for parents to watch children interacting well with another, playing games together one with another, and as they grow up together, having fellowship one with another. When I read through the first chapter of Job, I think of how rewarding that must have been for Job to know that his children were getting together and were feasting and were celebrating together as siblings. It's evident that they loved one another and cared one for another and were drawn one to another. That's what happens in a healthy family relationship. So if that is the case, that that's how we interact on this earth with those who are our siblings then ought not that also to be the case how we interact with our brother who is in heaven? That we want to fellowship with him. That we yearn to get to know him. This is the great blessing of the Christian faith. I may know my brother. God gives me to know Jesus Christ. All of salvation is found in that very truth. I know Jesus. John 3.36 He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on Him. How rewarding is time spent with our elder brother. Rewarding because he's wise. Proverbs 8, verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence, and find out knowledge of witty inventions. And how we need the wisdom of our elder brother as we navigate the many circumstances of this earth, as we face the cunning, the wiles of the devil, as we see as parents, not only the temptations that we face, 
but also the temptations that our children face. We need the wisdom of our elder brother. Thanks be to God that He takes us into His family. And by faith, we may know Him. As our elder brother, He rules over us. He's our Lord. Question 34, Wherefore callest thou Him our Lord? The answer, because He hath redeemed us, both body and soul, from all our sins. Lordship. It seems almost to be a sudden, jolting transition. Here we were talking about sonship, family, covenant, being members of a family together. Then there's almost this jarring transition as we go from speaking of family and sonship and adoption to speaking of lordship, redemption, and property, and He made us His property. But I do not believe that we ought to criticize the catechism here for its transition to Jesus Christ speaking of Lord, but rather to speak of Jesus Christ as Lord is the logical, theological conclusion of Jesus Christ being the eternal and natural Son of God. If the first question and answer of Lord's Day 13 is true, then the second question and answer of Lord's Day 13 must also be true. If it is the case that Jesus Christ is the Son of God from all eternity, and that we are adopted into this family, then it must also be the case that Jesus Christ, who is the divine Son of God, must rule over us. He is partaker of the divine. And because He is God of gods and Lord of lords, therefore, He has the right, the authority, to rule over us as Lord. Proverbs chapter 8 speaks of the fact that He is Lord. Verse 15 and 16, By Me kings reign, and princes decree justice. By Me princes rule, and nobles even all the judges of the earth. How marvelous it is that we who are Christians may be able to say, I believe in the Lord. Not only that I believe in Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, but also that I believe 
that this elder brother is my Lord. Marvelous to be able to confess this because the very fact that we can confess this indicates that He already rules in our lives. We would never confess that He is Lord. That we are His property if it was not the case that He has already bought us with His own precious blood. Marvelous that we may make this confession that He is Lord because the One who rules over us has the closest, most intimate of relationships with us. His rule is that of a loving family member over us. There is, Proverbs says, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus is that friend who sticks closer than even earthly family members stick unto us. How marvelous that He is our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, How great Thou art, and greatly to be praised. We thank Thee for bringing us into Thy family, not only adopting us legally, but also transforming us so that more and more we resemble our elder brother Jesus Christ. Fill us with Thy Spirit. Pardon our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen.